0: We are in our here and now, uh, or here to eternity series, investing in the one thing that will matter most. Um, Derek did a great job of kicking us off last week, um, where he talked about leveraging our life, our resources, our time, and our money um, for the kingdom. and And hopefully, you know, when we get to see God, we don't have uh, joyful regret, which was a fascinating phrase. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that. Um, But today, we are going to get in the weeds a bit and talk about us. We're going to talk about the Bible, and we're going to talk about money. Oh, our favorite, favorite Sunday topic, money. Here we go. Um, And a lot of us, we all come with a different history and different experience. Some of us grew up in very wealthy households, some very not wealthy households, and then everything in between. Some of us have been very successful um, and wise in our dealings with money, and some of us have been very unsuccessful and maybe unwise in how we've dealt with money. Um, now, my wife, Jody and I, we're right now in the process of teaching our older two kids about money and how to deal with it, um, and, uh, and obviously, like we, if you know the berries, we are type A, so obviously we have a system, um, and the system is this, so... Uh, you get a dollar a week that matches the grade you're in. So Eden, she is in third grade, so she gets $3 a week. Isla's in kindergarten, um, she gets a dollar a week. Um, So obviously, you know, inflation is covered, you know, as they get older, so it's covered. We're good. Um, Took a while to figure that one out. Um, But uh, they also have uh, three different boxes that they put their money in. They've got a a share box, they've got a save box, and they've got a spend box. And we give them just like a pile of quarters every week. I I don't know if you've looked for quarters lately. I don't usually have them, but we have them now for the kids. And they can put them all kind of and split it all up in the different boxes. Um, And so that's how we're kind of like slowly teaching them um, about money. And the two, Eden and Isla, she's eight. Eden's eight, Isla's six. The two could not be different more different about how they approach money. So Eden, she is our free spirit. She never has money. Um, it, all, it When it goes in, it just goes out. Um, her jams are Dollar Tree, Five Below. She is all about it. So as soon as allowance comes, she's like, Mom, Dad, are you guys doing any chores? I could tag along, and we could go to Five Below, and I can get some stuff. Does that sound like a good plan? Um, she's all of a sudden very willing to come along with chores when, uh, when she's gotten money from allowance. And... Um, and uh, and she spends it on like journals and art supplies, makes all kinds of cool things. But she never has money ever. Um, Isla is the exact opposite. So she is the disciplined saver. Isla has always got some cash, so much. And I didn't tell this the first verse. I just remembered this. There was one time Eden was going to Five Below, and uh, and she only had four dollars, right? And you know it's it's five dollars and Below for all the good stuff. So she went to Islands like I, I need a dollar. And, and they ended up, Eden traded a week of chores for $1 <laughs> so that she could go to five below. So that gives you a sense of, like, the dynamics that are going on here. So Isla, um, in, their, in their save box, we have them, like, kind of pick something, and we, and we print it out as, like, this is the thing I'm saving for so they can kind of get excited about it and remember what even they are saving for. And Isla decides that she wants a Lego Friends Lego set, so... If you know anything about that, you know, they are awesome. And our kids love them. And she did not pick just any, like, regular Lego set. She picked a $100 Lego set. Got she gets $1 a week. And a third of it goes in the share box. Okay, do you, like, this is, like, Jody and I were like, are you sure? Maybe we should start with, like, a $10 Lego set. She's like, no, I want this one. We're like, okay, here we go. And she starts kind of like, I guess... Not, she's six, so she's not quite doing the math in her head, but you can see like the gears are turning and she's like, hmm, how, how, how could I earn more money to get this faster? And we were like, well, okay. Um, you could do some extra chores around the house. We could give you some money for that. You could do a lemonade stand. Um, lemonade stands kill in our neighborhood. People are just like giving money away. It's amazing. Um, or we said maybe you could do some chores for some neighbors, like rake some leaves or something like that. So she said, okay, Great. So she was on it and did all of those things. We know the market rate for all of our chores in the house, because she's negotiated all of them. Um, like she's not just accepting, you know, bottom of the barrel payment here. Um, and, and it took her, guys, it took her three months to save $100. I don't know if there are people, some people in here can't save $100 in three months, <laughs> right? Amazing. So she buys the Lego set, has a ball. Um, there was one time she, she came to me and she was like, hey, dad, um, I'll rake some leaves. Um, and I said, okay, great. I set a low anchor. I said, I'll pay you a dollar. She was like, nope, that's not enough. I was like, what do you mean it's not enough? That's a perfectly fine amount. She's like, mom gave me $5. And I was like, oh, come on, Jody, work with me. So she buys the Lego set and it's, it's wonderful. The kids play with it. It's awesome. Um, but during, <laughs> so you might think, wow, that's pretty impressive, like six-year-old. And yes, we were impressed. Um, but she came to us kind of in this three months, she came to Jody one day and she goes, she goes, mommy, what, what day is tomorrow? And Jody's like, uh, uh, it's, uh, well, today's Saturday. And so the day after Saturday is Sunday. And she goes, oh, and Jody's like, why? What's, what's wrong? She's like, well, on Sunday, we have to go to church so it's less time to do jobs and make money. And we were like, oh no, okay. <laughs> all right, <laughs> we, we've swung too far over here. <laughs> like, okay, maybe we need to have some work there. So so I don't know what your experience has been like with money. Maybe you're more of an Eden, a free spirit. Maybe you're more of an Isla that is an absolute hustler and is gonna buy all kinds of Lego sets in your life. Um, but regardless, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's the money, wealth, bills, houses, cars, all of these are huge parts of our lives. And I think a lot of times, you know, churches, probably because of some of our kind of church history and baggage over the centuries, um, we don't talk about it a ton. It's kind of awkward. Um, It'll be awkward today, um, too. But we, we don't We don't talk about it a ton, Um, and OCC included, um, which is why we've done this series. We're going to jam it all in and knock it out and move on to some other stuff. Um, But it's super important, and while maybe churches don't talk about it a ton, the Bible talks about it a lot. Money and finances is all over this thing in all parts of the Bible. In the Old Testament, you've got tithes and offerings and instructing the Israelites on how to give Of what they earn, you've got wisdom passages of how to use money wisely in Proverbs. You got Jesus talking tons about money in the New Testament. Paul all over it, Old Testament, New Testament, it is everywhere. Um, But the Bible talks more about money and finances than some other heavy hitters: prayer, healing, mercy. It talks more about money than those types of things. Kind of surprising. So. As we look at our main passage today in Luke 12, we're going to explore three questions today. And we'll throw throw them up on the screen for you note-takers. And they are, first, is having money or stuff sinful? Is having money or stuff sinful. That's an easy one. Great. Okay. Uh, What does the Bible say about giving? It says a lot. So what does it actually say? And then lastly, we're going to talk about how do we keep from drifting? So, is having money or stuff sinful? What does the Bible say about giving? And how do we keep from drifting? So, first, is having money or stuff sinful? So, we're going to start with maybe one of the most, maybe popular, maybe even culturally popular, like, phrases or verses in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6.10, just, we'll look at the first sentence For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We have all heard this. This is not a new thing. Money is the root of all evil. Everyone knows this. We probably talk about it a lot. Um, Probably read news articles and they reference this for some reason. Um, But uh, I think society society says, and I just said, and I don't know if you caught it, but society says, think think commonly that money is the, the root of all evil. And that's not what it says. So I want to look at this, and let's look at some of the differences. So first off, money is the root of all evil, where it actually says, no, it is a root of all kinds of evil. Believe me, the Bible covers plenty of other ways that you could enjoy sin than just money. There are other ways to uh, all kinds of evil. It's not just money. Money isn't the evil thing. There are plenty of other things that we could trip and fall over. And then also, it doesn't say... Money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money, which is a huge difference and much, much more nuanced. I wish that it said the root of all evil, because you know what? Money and stuff is super easy to measure and very easy to judge other people on, which is wonderful sometimes. Um, That's a sin. Don't do that, but I do it. Um, So so think about, like, okay, you know, it's so easy to measure— you know, what about you see someone driving a car, you're like, oh, their car is way nicer than me. They are so evil. Oh, that would feel good. Or maybe, oh, they went on that vacation. Probably an evil vacation, like, because I can't go on that. Or what about the opposite? Maybe this person has an iPhone 7, and they're like, oh, my gosh, heaven bound. Bless them. Amazing. They still have an iPhone 7, and it's not a paperweight. Or what about, you know, Ripped from the headlines at edgy Ocean City Church. What about the wealthy 1%? All evil, definitely going to hell. The 99%, there's nothing wrong with them. They are totally fine, heaven bound. There's no other issues there. Um, That's the dividing line between heaven and hell. Um, You know, if it was just the amount of money, it was just the amount of stuff that would be so, so, so much easier in a lot of ways. You can measure it But in the Bible, money is much, much more nuanced than that. It is the love of money that we must pay attention to. This love of money or stuff the Bible calls greed or covetousness. That's the word from our passage today. And and in our passage today, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have lots of money or not lots of money. That the love of money can affect you. So Jesus tells this parable about the rich man. And before the disciples, you know, and remember the disciples, these are like fishermen. These are not rich people. These are like, and especially as disciples, they're just like wandering around with Jesus. They're not doing jobs and making money like Isla. Um, so, you know, before the disciples start to think, yeah, get them, Jesus. Rich people, they're the worst. He turns to them in verse 22 and, and says, uh, and addresses the disciples' worry. And anxiety as it relates to money and things. How often have you been in that situation? Sometimes we love money from worrying things. We're tired of worrying, and money can sometimes like feed that, feed the thing that we're really kind of fixated on. Even if you don't have it, you still think about it, right? There's some people in this room that have more money than they know what to do with. And there's some that struggle to barely pay the bills right now. And all of us, all of us can have a love of money. The love just might look different. And so, it's something that we've got to pay attention to. It's not just like what's the number in your bank account to know how to guess. It's the money that we've got to pay attention to. So let's dive into our passage as Jesus teaches the crowd and the disciples about money. So first off, Jesus is responding to a question, and before he hops into his parable, he shows his hand kind of on what he's getting at in verse 15. So we'll read that together. He says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Um, and one thing I want to do, so this is the, the ESV version. I also want to show the NIV version, so we'll read that here real quick. And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Similar, but not exact. Um, and sometimes this is helpful, like if you're kind of digging into um, the Bible. It's just kind of just a quick aside. Um, The ESV it translates the original Greek more kind of like word by word, and the NIV is a little more kind of like phrase by phrase. And so, neither are better or worse; they're just different translation methods. Look at the different, Um, and you see something there that I I think is the most important thing that we are going to spend a lot of time talking about. Right at the beginning, they say, "Watch out! Take care! Be on your guard!" And this is something that I, yeah, I really want to hone in on. So I think this is part of the nuance of money and our love of money as it relates to sin. Um, so think about some other sins, some, some of the obvious ones, right? So like murder, right? That's pretty obvious. You're alive, and then they're not alive, and there's no, not a whole lot of debate about the amount of aliveness or deadness, right? It's Um, And we won't think about too much, but because we got the kids, but think about adultery, right? It's not like, oh, uh, whoops, honest mistake, I didn't realize what was going on here. Like, nope, it's pretty obvious what's going on. Uh, There's not a whole lot of debate there. Um, But the love of money is not as obvious. You know, I wish in some ways it was black and white like we talked about. Like, where's the line? Like, if you buy a house that's this expensive, you're totally fine. But $5 more, and then you're not fine. So watch the line. Don't cross the line. I'll probably get right up next to the line, you know. Um, Or, like, I wish in the Bible it was like, you know what? Target, Marshalls, totally okay. Pottery Barn, don't even think about it. Are you crazy? No way. Do not do that. Instead, what Jesus is saying is you have to watch out. Take care. Be on guard. to money I think like our relationship to money and as it changes over time can be a gradual thing and, and I kind of look back at my life a lot and I kind of lose perspective on uh, you know like like what is normal. I think a lot of times, even living at the beach too there's a lot of like wealthy people at the beach and a lot of cool cars that cruise up and down this road. Sometimes it's it's hard to lose perspective on things like, you know, the average annual income worldwide is $10,000 a year, right? So if I'm thinking, well, I'm not like, like, I don't have that much money. And it's like, well, actually, yes, yes, we do comparatively. I lose perspective on that. Things that I think uh, I need because I'm looking around, at what's going on? I think I need this thing when actually, in reality, I don't need it, and I really just kind of want it. All right? I lose perspective on that big distinction. Um, and what I think can often happen is, if we're not watching out, is that you know we take a step back, and you know you realize this gradual thing, and we've like kind of like drifted. Like you know, maybe kind of take back. Oop. Oh, okay. Back take a step back and realize that, wow, I, my perspective has shifted more than I thought. Now, Derek has a requirement for all the speakers to use a surfing illustration um, every talk. Um, just kidding. That'll be horrible. But I do have one. So <laughs> bonus points. Here we go. Um, so and I'm not a great surfer, but I did surf a lot in high school with some buddies. Um, and... Uh, a type of kind of like condition that rolls through is what we call like a nor'easter. And these are these storms. We're all familiar with these. The wind blows in from the northeast and it's kind of like cold and rainy and very windy. And the beach is like a mess. It's a washing machine out there. You know, waves crashing everywhere. It's not, it's really just like garbage waves, but they're kind of big. And so in high school, we would go out. Like, this sounds great. Let's hit it. Um, But what happens is when the wind is blowing from the northeast, you have this north to south um, current that develops. And I don't know if you've ever been in like the current in the ocean where it's really moving. Um, what would happen is, you know, we, we paddle out, it'd take forever because the way it's horrible. Um, duck dive a million times and then you finally get out there and then you're having fun. You know, you're ripping airs and doing all kinds of cool stuff. That was my friends. For me, I was like wiping out and then scrambling to like get out of the inside. Um, but well, you're kind of like you're, you're in the current and you don't I mean you're just you're just in it you're floating along with it you don't notice it um you're having a great time and then what, what you do is you start to develop like kind of like like a, um, uh like mile markers or like points on the beach like different houses like oh there's the big house and that kind of gives you a sense of where you are as you're drifting and so you're like drifting along having a great time and then you look up and you're like where's my house like how far have I drifted and then you're like oh, it's way over there, which means I've drifted way farther than what I was planning on. And before we had cars, you'd have to get out of the water, and then you walk back, and sometimes it's like a mile or two, just like on your board. It's windy and awful, and you're tired, and, uh, and it's, it's terrible. You know, you lose perspective on how far you've drifted. When we got driver's licenses, that changed a lot. We would park a car way south, which was awesome, and then drive back. So we got wise. Um, but, but I think it's similar with money. Like, it's easy to drift. You know, it's easier to drift into nicer and nicer restaurants, right? I remember in college, like, the go-to, because it was cheap, was Moe's. A Moomoo Mr. Cow was like $3.99 or something, back in my day, um, and, uh, and it was awesome, right, but, and the treat was going to, like, Chipotle, right, the burritos are way bigger, the uh, ingredients are fresher, it tastes way better overall, right, that was the treat, um, and now, you know, maybe the treat is a little more like North Beach Fish Camp, right, and the bread pudding, if you know, you know, it is so good, the bread pudding, cranberry and white chocolate, get out of town, it's so good, oh my gosh, But, you know, if we wonder, yeah, why why is money like this? Why is it different like this? Um, I think we forget sometimes that there is an enemy out there. And Satan, his whole job is to steal, kill, and destroy. His job is to take us down and pull us away from God. And I think uh, he's probably a lot more strategic and cunning than we give him credit for. And... Uh, I've got a quote I've used before in talks, um, but it's so good. I had to use it again. Um, It's from The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. So if you're not not familiar with this book, it's this kind of fictitious book that he wrote. Basically, it's a senior kind of demon uh, writing letters to guide a younger demon that's kind of learning how to, like, tempt people and, like, get them to hell. Um, So the whole perspective is kind of, like, all flipped. Like it talks about in this passage, the senior demon refers to the enemy, which for him is God, right? So it's just interesting, this whole kind of like reversal of how they're trying to figure out humans and how to take us down. Um, So I want to read this. This is, remember, a senior demon advising a younger demon on how to properly tempt people. And we'll put it on the screen here for us all to read. So he says... You will say that there are, that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report some spectacular wickedness, but do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And I think because of this, this is why Jesus says in verse 15 to take care, watch out, be on your guard. Because Satan, he's wanting to hide the signpost. He's wanting to hide the house that lets you know how far you've drifted. To give no warning, he just wants to let you drift. And Jesus is then now doing the opposite in this parable. He is flashing the siren saying, you've got to watch out for this stuff. It is sneaky. And what happens to the rich man in our parable um, can easily happen to us. So we'll kind of throw these verses back up and we'll go through them real quick here. Um, so the land, you know, produced a lot. He, th- he thinks to himself, uh, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And his solution, tear down my barns, build bigger barns. Makes sense. Store more crops. Um, and he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God says, you are a fool. Um, and so this is, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So the man in our parable has a great harvest, right? He meets all of his sales quotas, maybe exceeds them. He just crushed it this year, right? Awesome news for him. Um, and then he realizes his barns are too small, needs to upgrade. And then what is super critical here for us today, I think, is what we see in verse 19. So we're going to put that back up. And he says this. The man says, I will say to my soul, soul. You have ample goods laid for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And that's like such a weird thing to say. That's like even beyond like 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 you know, talking in the third person, right? It's like like I could say I feel like a lot of times we will say I will say to myself, "Hey, you have done great. Let's do this thing." But Jesus uses this crazy word soul. I will say to my soul, soul. You have ample goods. The, and I think he's doing this intentionally. This word, this word in the Greek for soul that he uses, it's the Greek root word for psyche. So essentially, what this man is saying as he's assessing his situation is he's addressing something that is deep, deep down. You know, at the soul level, at the heart level, at the spirit level. We're on a different level than, oh, just tear down my barns and build some bigger ones. It's very practical. Now he's speaking to his soul. He's whispering at the core of himself. There is a deeper desire here than just a lot of money or a lot of grain. We could have a love of money here. There's something at his core that is saying essentially this, saying, we finally made it. We can now be comfortable and not even have to work. I don't even like working anyway. Now we don't have to. We can just enjoy life. In the freedom course that sometimes we do at OCC, we call these deep idols. Um, So money is not the root of all evil, but it sure can buy you a lot of times what you really want. Money can buy all kinds of things. We can buy comfort. We could buy the approval of others. We buy power or control. So I guess one of the questions on the table today is, do you ever whisper to yourself, like at that soul level? I know I do. So um, as many of you know, some of you don't, but I'm, on, I'm an elder here at OCC, and I'm on the finance committee. Um, and over the years, I've developed a reputation for loving spreadsheets, um, and I do. They're awesome. It is well-deserved. There, there are few things more good and powerful in the world than a well-working spreadsheet. I'll just say it. I'm a nerd, but it's my life. Um, so, and I have, as you might imagine, in the Barry household, we have lots of spreadsheets. We have a monthly budget spreadsheet, obviously, uh, you know, breaking down the whole month. Here's what's coming in. Here's what's going out. Here's what we got to keep to. Do not deviate. This is the spreadsheet. Um, And also, very recently, I'm super proud of this one. So, uh, I did this over Christmas. Oh, it was so much fun. Time off of work. I made spreadsheets. It's great. So, (laughs) I charted, okay, in the rest of my life, I'm projecting my death to 2090, by the way. um, How much kind of spending am I going to do? And to start planning now. So, there's things that are going to come up. Big things like retirement, right? Um, There are things like college, Right? And weddings. Ugh. I have four daughters. Okay, this hopefully society changes, but I've accounted for it or tried to. Um, so I have this this mega spreadsheet. It's all covered. Okay, and I feel like anytime I share maybe some of this stuff, probably some of you are thinking, "Dang, I have no spreadsheets." I, like, honey, we need to like get it together. Um, And and maybe, maybe there's some wisdom in some of this, but I will tell you one thing. In the midst of all of the spreadsheets, there is plenty of whispering in my soul going on, if I'm honest. I am saying things to my soul in the midst of the planning and the organizing and the spreadsheets. I'm saying things like, you know, Jesus is telling me to watch out here because I will say to my soul, I will say, soul... You have planned everything. You have covered every possibility, considered every factor. And instead of take life, be easy, what I say to my soul is, you are in control. Nothing bad will happen. Nothing bad will happen because you are in control. You do not have to worry because you are in control. If I'm not careful, and if the Holy Spirit in me is not helping me to watch out, I can drift here. I can drift into preferring me to be in control instead of the God of the universe, which seems silly when you say it, but that's what, like, this soul talk goes on in me. I can drift. And this drifting is, is even though we've got spreadsheets and organized, this drifting is just as cancerous as the person who maybe is less organized and spends like all kinds of money. It's just as uh, crippling. It just looks different, right? I want money. I love money because it gives me control. And because I have control, then I feel like I'm okay, honestly. So what types of things are you saying to your soul? Where can you drift If you don't watch out and stay on guard, like Jesus is saying, do you say, maybe you say to your soul, soul, if you buy these clothes or this car or this house, you will fit in. Maybe even stand out, you know, amongst people in your circles and those compliments that you are going to get are going to feel so, so, so good. Maybe you say to your soul, soul, if I just made a little more money, think of the influence I might have over others. I would be the most important person in the room. I would be the one that's making all the decisions. Maybe you say, soul, think of how free you would be if you just saved even more aggressively. You'd be free to go anywhere, free to do anything, no obligations. You get to control and do anything. I think in our passage, these are the types of things that Jesus is warning us about. He's not warning us about how big your bank account is. He's warning us about the soul talk. Telling us to take care, watch out, be on guard. Because this love of money is subtle. It's the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So our first question today, I know it was a long one. Is having money or stuff sinful? And my kind of overall answer to that is not necessarily, but you have to watch out for drifting. You have to. Jesus is telling us to. So hopefully we've got the Holy Spirit tugging on our hearts a little bit, right? You feel it? I do. Um, saying that maybe we've drifted. Um, but how, how do we know how do we know we've drifted? How do, we, how do we watch out, Jesus? You're telling us to watch out. And luckily, uh, by the grace of God, He has given us an entire book worth of signposts and milestones and guides in here that will help us gauge how far we're drifting. It's wonderful. And so this brings us to our second question. What does the Bible say about giving? And like we said, the Bible has a lot to say about money our relationship with it, there are several passages, verses, principles that provide us these signposts and guides and milestones and warnings so we can know if we're drifting or not. So, and if you remember, even a couple of weeks ago in our, our previous series, Compass, right, we used the Bible to kind of filter our, our opinions and feelings through, right? So in the same way, these warnings help us filter, you know, the, the soul whispering, You know, is this something that maybe I need to watch out for? The Bible helps with that. And so um, we're going to go through a couple of lists rather quickly. There's going to be lots of scripture references. We don't have time to unpack everything today, but I do want to go through some of the stuff. So get out your pens or your phones or whatever, iPhone 7, and take some notes. Um, So where we're going to jump in first is just what the Bible says about how do we give we're going to burn through a bunch of these real quick. So first off, how do we give? We give generously. This is partially how the Bible answers kind of how much do we give, right? So many of you have have grown up in the church or have been around church and have heard the word tithe, right? That comes from the Old Testament, the Levitical law. Tithe literally meant a tenth, right? So 10%. So the commands were that the Israelites would give 10% of their crops, of their income, of their cattle as tithes and offerings back to God. And not only that, there were also multiple kind of additional uh, tithes or offerings around special festivals or events or special years. And so some smart Bible people that did the math, I did not, but they said probably on average, the average Israelite gave between 10 to 25% of their annual income which is a lot. Yikes. But, uh, you know, so I think the type A people, like me, hear that and be like, great. This is great. I've got the line. Here we go. Let's charge ahead. Um, I've got my goal. Um, But the New Testament, when, you know, we kind of undo or redo some of those specific commands in the Bible, instead of giving us that that 10% target. Instead, the New Testament both raises the bar and gets more vague, which does not help the Type A people. Those are both the worst that you could hear, right? So in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7, Paul talks about um, the Macedonians. He tells the Corinthians about the Macedonians, and he says, although the Macedonians who were in extreme poverty, he points out, gave according to their means and sometimes even beyond their means. So irrelevant of the amount of money they had, they were generous or could be generous. In Acts 2 and Acts 4, the early church shared everything so that there was no person um, in need. And Jesus even tells one person to sell everything they have and give it away and follow him. Boo, yikes. Yikes. That raises the bar all the way, I guess. That's a lot. Um, So I would say, you know, as we survey the Bible, 10% is not necessarily the goal. I think in light of that New Testament and the push from Jesus, the, the call to give generously is to just give more and more. Continue to find ways to give more, I think, is most in line with what we see in the New Testament. To be radically generous towards God and others. So that's the one, that's the longest one. Next, how do we give? We give cheerfully. Ripped from scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and this, this principle is the one of why we do, why we say what we say when we do offering, like Mary Beth did. So when we talk about it being a, an act of worship, this is kind of what we're getting at. It's not like this obligation of like, okay, I came to church and they're like, God needs my money, I guess I got to give it. Um, it's like, no, this like cheerfully act of worship. Um, and also why we say, if you're new, like you don't have to pay to come to church. We don't want to feel an obligation because of this principle. We want there to be a cheerful reason behind it. Um, and also I would maybe give a warning um, as far as attitudes. Um, sometimes I've told myself, well, if I don't feel cheer, if you feel cheerful, um, I probably shouldn't give this week, um, and that's not how it works either. Um, so I think what I've found in my life is a lot of times, if the attitude's not there, but I know the command is there. Sometimes, as I'm being faithful to the command, sometimes God uses that to work on my attitude a little bit. So don't use that excuse. Um, next, uh, how do we give? We give sacrificially. First John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Sacrificially, do we give? Do we give to the point that we feel it, and does it sting a little bit? That's maybe a guidepost to know that maybe we're giving sacrificially. You know, a very common question around giving is like, "Well, do I give off the gross or the net, Mike?" I'm trying to do the spreadsheet, um, and my answer is, "I don't know which one stings." Do that one, I think, if we're looking at sacrificially giving. You know, does the call in Romans 12.1 to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God also not apply to our bank accounts? I think it does. Next, we give spontaneously. A heart that's freed by the gospel is not just waiting for opportunities to present themselves. Um, we are free to intentionally seek out ways to give Gospel giving looks for chances chances to bless others and listen to their needs of people around them and even far away, you know so if instead maybe you often avoid situations where you think people might be asking for money, that could be a sign, just saying that you might be drifting a little bit. Next, we give regularly first corinthians sixteen one to two Paul talks to the Corinthians about setting aside. Uh, weekly to give to the collection of the saints. So I think if, if giving is not something that is a consistent discipline, this is telling us, hey, you might be drifting. I want to watch out. And then lastly, we give secretly. Matthew 6, 2-4 to says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if you find yourself, when you give, needing to be acknowledged or uh, for your sacrifice, or thanked, or praised, you may be drifting Next list. It's much shorter. Don't worry. Uh, who do we give to? What does the Bible say about you know, who are we supposed to give to? If we're supposed to give all this stuff in all these ways, where does it go? Um, and the first one is you give to the church, both local and global. And in Acts four thirty four to thirty five says this talks about the early church and says there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need, so the early church you know they realized okay we 're going to bring it and, and just and lay it down sacrificially um, to, to the leaders so that because they, they know what 's going on, they know the ministries, they know the needs, and so and that, that that would be distributed so local church, um, the staff and pastors, even here at Ocean City church, they are doing a job performing a service. Um, And they have bills too, so we need to pay them fairly for helping us with that, to distribute that. Now, you know, the church, kind of in a broad sense, has horrible baggage, you know, when it comes to this. Very poor stewardship. Um, At OCC, one of the things that we try to do is to have— Full transparency when it comes to our finances. So Mary Beth was talking about the Vision Sunday on February 13th. One of the things that we cover in that is we kind of lay out, hey, here's the church budget. When you give money, this is how we are spending it. Here's where we focus. Um, and, and all in the hope of that we would help build trust um, with you, with the family of, uh, of how we're stewarding your gifts. 1 John 3.17, we read it earlier. You know, if your brothers are without need um, and you're not helping them, then like the love of God might not be in you. And you just think about there are, in terms of brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are millions of Christians around the world that are just like us, that have been bought by the blood of Jesus and are in this with us, that have huge needs around the world. So that global church You know, giving towards global missions, uh, even local missions where there is need. That is something that the Bible talks about doing. Um, Secondly, who do we give to? We give to our family. So let's look at 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pretty harsh. Basically, like, take care of your family. Take care of your crew is what that is saying. And I know for some people in certain circumstances, this type of idea of giving to family, taking care of them in this way is, can be super painful, super hard, and requires loads and loads and loads of discernment and wisdom about how to best do that. Families are complicated, and there's a lot of stuff there. Um, but it's, it's a command in the Bible. And I know for me, for, for this one, for me, um, the whisper that I give to my soul sometimes in this is I think, oh, well, I'm taking care of my family when really it's just like spending money on me. So like, I really think the kids would love to go to this mountain range for vacation. I'm pretty sure, um, you know, but really, I just want to do that, you know, but I'll disguise it. It's, a, it's all a ruse. It's just for me. Um, and then lastly, who do we give to? We give to the poor and the needy and our enemies. Bull. So loving our neighbor as ourselves is something we all know. We've all heard of this. Um, you know, but I guess the question that I want to think about in relation to this is, you know, do we meet the needs of the poor among us with the same urgency and intensity as we meet our own needs? That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So think about, I don't know if you've been in this situation, With maybe Comcast or AT&T, you know, you signed up for the introductory rate, and then the introductory rate went up all of a sudden after 12 months. I can't tell you how urgent and intense I will get on the phone for hours trying to figure out how to get this back to the introductory rate, right? It makes me so mad. I don't know why. Um, But do we we approach others and the needs of others with that same intensity that we would approach even a, a trivial thing like that? And before your soul whispers, soul, who really is my neighbor? Nice try. Jesus already covered that in Luke 10 in the Good Samaritan, where he said, basically, everyone, even your enemies, are your neighbor. So, I know that was a lot. I just burn through it. So let's go, go over it real quick. Our two lists. How do we give? We give generously. We give cheerfully, sacrificially, spontaneously, regularly, and secretly. And then who do we give to? The church, local and global, our family, the poor and needy, and our enemies. Now, one thing we're not going to have time to cover today is this is a pretty intimidating list. Um, but there are lots of like practical, biblical steps to take in moving towards any of this. So some of you may be thinking, I am literally drowning right now when it comes to money. I can't even think about this. Um, please don't be discouraged. Um, and also come back next week. So Jeff Arkell, he's teaching next week. He's on the finance committee and he's going to be covering... something. Oh yeah, give it up. Mm-mm. Finance committee! <laughs> um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. It just came over me. Like the spirit, I guess. Um, So so he's going to be coming and sharing tons of, like, practical stuff. Things like making a budget and how to tackle debt. And, I mean, like, there's some things that are huge roadblocks for for maybe a lot of us in here that make it really hard to even start on this stuff. So please come next week. He's going to be covering a lot of that, which is going to be really good and really helpful and Bible-based steps. Um, So let's see. Uh oh! Did I choose my place? Nope. All right. Okay. So we're about to land this thing. How's everybody feeling? I'm assuming horrible because I feel horrible. Um, that list is super intimidating, right? Like maybe you like like you're how many, I don't even know how many things are on there. Maybe you're like one or two. You're like I think I can maybe say that I'm doing that one. But like the vast majority are, like, super convicting, right? So, so maybe you're feeling like that right now, um, and join the club, right? Um, and so I, I think what what we're feeling is, you know, we've been in we've been in the ocean, going along with the current, just like woo, and then the Bible shows up as the signpost, and you look to the beach, and you're like, oh, okay. We have drifted, probably collectively together. There's been some drifting that has happened, you know, and maybe, maybe we knew, okay, maybe there's a little bit of drifting, but it was really just a couple of blocks, and then you realize, no, it's like 10 miles that we've drifted. Some of us are maybe even thinking, I didn't even know that any of this was there. I didn't even know the beach was there. I was just cruising along. And that brings us today to our last question how do we keep from drifting? So remember our quote from C.S. Lewis, you know how the safest road to hell was a gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. All these commands in the Bible, um, yes, they are signposts that God has graciously given us to let us know where, where we're at. Um, but they're not just that. They're also signposts and milestones and guides, not just being a better you, but they're pointing to something. They're pointing us because we feel horrible and we're like, what do I do? Where do I go? And they're pointing not only something, but they're pointing to someone. The commands are pointing us back to Jesus because without Jesus, we are destined to drift. We are destined to drift all the way all the way to hell. But church, there's such good news today. And you even see it in our passage. In verse 32, it says, fear not little flock for your father's good pleasure. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So just sit in this for a little bit. God is saying, I know it feels like a lot, but I've got amazing news. I'm just gonna give it to you. The thing that you thought like you're trying to maybe, you know, be better at. Maybe you're like swimming against the current to try to fight it. You know, this thing that you're going for to try to get yourself right. This this soul talk. I'm just going to give you what you really need. Even though you're not there and you're horrible. I'm going to give it to you for free. Instead of waiting for us to figure it out, waiting us to... For us to free ourselves, I'm going to give you the kingdom before you even earned it. I'm going to do it all. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, it's for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich In our passage, Jesus says this treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. God has given us this treasure that that cannot be touched by temptation. It's amazing. A treasure that does not fail. And the treasure is this life with the creator of the universe. Infinite relationship for eternity with him. Amazing, mind-blowing. It's his kingdom. And so as we kind of close today, I want you to kind of think about, think about what you're thinking about God right now. And I'm about to turn it upside down. You know, you're you're thinking, okay, I'm feeling all this conviction and there's something in us that's gonna say, all right, I know there's a current. I know I'm drifting. It's time to get to work. It's time to start swimming have you ever tried to fight the current in the ocean? I, I tried it a couple of times when I was a kid. Because I was like, I hate walking. I'm going to fight it. It's exhausting. You burn yourself out. So I feel like a lot of times, especially as Christians, we think that we got to swim against this, that that's the answer. Just swim harder, swim faster, fight against this current, fight against Satan This quote that I've come across as I was preparing this week by this author, Randy Alcorn, he says this, he says, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving is this, the illusion that earth is our home. And here, here's the truth about where we are. So one, God's saying, you're stuck in this current And I want to save you from it. So for some of you, you need to accept that and say, yeah, I've been fighting and swimming against the current, trying to do all this stuff, and I'm exhausted. And I need you. But I think for some of us, for those who are Christians, here is the amazing thing. The earth is not our home. So we think we're in this current. We think we're drifting and fighting all this. But here, here's the reality of what God says, what the Bible says of how this works. He says, when you are saved, your home has changed. He's picked you up out of this ocean and has moved you to a different ocean, a different home. We call it the Ocean of Grace here at OCC, obviously. Um, He's put you in a different ocean, which has a different current and there's a different type of drifting. He says, when you become a Christian, like the Holy Spirit comes inside of you at the soul level. So now, instead of, oh gosh, instead of me saying to my soul, soul, it's the Holy Spirit saying, soul, stop fighting. Realize, You're in a different ocean now. You're in the ocean of grace. And we're so used to swimming and fighting against the current. We're in the ocean of grace and we're just fighting, fighting and exhausting ourselves when really what God wants us to do is just stop fighting. Realize the amazing act of pulling us out of one ocean and putting us in this ocean of grace and just going with the current. Because God says in Philippians, this Holy Spirit he's given us, that the Holy Spirit will continue this good work to completion. He will do it all. He will bring us, to all, that whole list, like he is working on all of that on our behalf right now in our hearts if you are with Jesus. And so our message today as we close is, one, if you're, if you're in this ocean, just drifting, you gotta get out. And there's only one way, and that's Jesus. But if you have been saved by Jesus, you have to realize you're in this new ocean and you're free. You can do you, you can drift with the current. It's okay because the current is a good one. It's leading to great places. God has done this all for us. So let's stand as we close. If we realize we are in this ocean of grace. And the Holy Spirit is saying to our soul and our own soul is saying to our soul, earlier, soul all my love, all my love you can have it all all my heart, all my soul all I own, you can have it all, thank you Jesus for your word for your wisdom for your guidance and God thank you for saving us, for making a way when there was no way Help our hearts to remember that, that the earth is not our home, that our home is with you. Pray all these things in Jesus' great name, amen.